The social change culture wants to influence children's attitudes and beliefs away from family values and Christ. But first, they have to diminish and eliminate the voice of the parent. So how do we respond to a culture that wants to destroy family? We strengthen the very institution that they're afraid of, the family. Welcome to the Monica Klein Show on the Edify Podcast Network. And I'm your host, Monica Leal Klein. Thanks for joining me today. Um, Guys, I know I have gotten a lot of responses from many of you about the most recent podcast. Uh, We're going to I'm going to continue to roll these out. Uh, and, and, And today is our final interview with parents of children who uh, of of a a pair of parents who have children who identify as transgender. Uh, And my my um, guest today is Marie. And I'm excited to speak to Marie as well, because she has a very unique story. It's it's definitely different than the other parents as well. Um, but in this interview, we're going to take a deep dive, um, not only on the issues of transgender identity, what the culture is saying, but what is the Christian culture saying? What are, as Christian people and the church, what are we saying or what should we be saying? So we're just going to have a good conversation today about those issues and those topics. Marie, thank you so much for choosing to be on my podcast today. How are you doing? I am doing well, thank you. I'm I'm happy that you're that you're happy to be on this show today. Uh, I want you to be yourself, just share what's on your heart. Um, but I do want parents to understand where you're coming from. So um, you have a, a a child who identifies as transgender. Can you tell us more about that? And and when did this begin? So um, I have a 21 year old son who is autistic, uh, very high functioning, very bright. Um, succeeded academically, um, you know, middle school and high school and even starting college. Um, Just as a little bit of background, um, he was a very hyperactive little toddler uh, and little boy. And uh, we knew something wasn't quite right. He was speech delayed. um, And uh, he had some uh, just definitely not his socialization wasn't appropriate for his age. So we had him tested and he um, was diagnosed with Asperger's when he was about six. Uh, Back then, Asperger's was a separate diagnosis than autism. And so he had early interventions, you know, things like occupational therapy and physical therapy and speech therapy and social skills therapy. Uh, When he was younger, um, he was uh, just absolutely obsessed with anything that was mechanical or um, that was electrical, um, you know, trains, cars, wheels, um, electronics. And then as he got a little bit older, he discovered video games, unfortunately, and became obsessed with those. Um, But as he was growing up, it was very obvious that he was always socially awkward. Um, And he got bullied quite a bit in school. Um, and we, you know, for two years, actually, I did online school with him. So I taught him at home for two years and that was a very nice break for him from the bullying at schools. Uh, but then he went back to school in the fifth grade, um, in middle school, he started blossoming and, uh, became in, uh, a part of the robotics team. Um, and then by the time he went to high school, he was in a, an engineering magnet, Uh, which was the perfect place for him. Um, All alongside his education, uh, we are Christians. And so he was in church, he was in Sunday school, then later he was in youth group. Um, You know, we um, instilled in him biblical values. Um, I remember telling him when he was little, I would say, um, I hope I don't choke up. (laughs) I would say, do you know that I am so happy that out of all the little boys in the world, God gave you to me to be your mom. So, you know, very much affirmed and loved and cherished. Um, but I've also had some pretty serious uh, catastrophic illnesses um, that created a lot of trauma for him um, and, you know, his siblings. But um when he was in high school, uh, he was 17, and I had a hemorrhagic 
um, stroke and I nearly died and he had to go to the hospital to say goodbye to me in the middle of the night because the doctors didn't think that I was going to survive the night. And that was very traumatic for him. And after that stroke, we noticed just he just went into a profound, profound depression. Um, very, you know, he was in a very dark place, and but he refused help. He didn't want to see a therapist or a counselor, didn't want medication for it. Um, he started definitely pulling himself away from the family, stopped eating meals with the family. And, uh, you know, for parents who might say, well, I would have just forced him. Well, he has autism. A person in an autism shutdown is not a person that you can easily move from that position. But he's still succeeding in high school. And he he was very close to uh, a group of friends, boys, all engineers, probably most of them on the spectrum like himself. Uh, this group of engineer kids were so close. And then he also had church friends, a small group of boys at church. So he was not completely isolated socially. And people at church and even in his school, they they accepted him and they loved him. And he was so gifted in engineering and in those kind of areas that he was um he had won awards. He he won state championships. He even um, won um, third place at a national competition. So he had traveled. He had flown to not other states to compete. Um, had a very rich high school life. But the depression really just took him down several notches. And then he started his senior year. And my world became just trying to recover from this stroke and doing therapies. Uh, in some ways, everybody in the family became my caregiver. And he, when he wasn't in school, he had to drive me to therapies. And uh, so, you know, he was very kind and tender to me uh, during this time. I'm mentioning this and spending, sitting a bit on this issue because trauma is one of the causes for this um, you know, kids feeling that they need a trans identity, this rapid onset gender dysphoria. So he got to senior year and he seemed to be doing better uh, mentally. He seemed to be in not such a dark place. But then we hit a snag where he didn't want to leave high school. I mean, literally, if he could have stayed in high school for another year or two, he would have. He was so anxious at the thought of leaving high school, that he was in panic mode most of the year. He didn't want to write essays about college. And he, he was this honor student. He had an education paid for at a four-year university, but he was so scared of growing up. This is point number two. One of those reasons that these kids go into this is a fear of growing up, a fear of maturing. So my husband and I said to him, okay, you have two choices. Actually, I think we gave him three choices. Choice number one was don't go to school, uh, take a gap year, uh, but you are not going to stay home doing video games all day long because he did a lot of video games. And um, so you work full time. You can live here, but, um, you know, responsibility. You have to be responsible. An option number two was go to four-year school, which we knew he didn't want to do. And he didn't have to work and he his education was paid for. And option number three was part-time work, which he was already, he was already working part-time. Uh, he worked in the summers and he worked on the weekends. Or you, you know, go to the tech school part-time and then work however many hours. So, Obviously, he didn't want to grow up, so he was not about to take the full-time job and the real-world responsibility. So he took the tech school with a limited amount of hours of work. So he started in the tech school, and he did amazing. I mean, he did so, so, so well. But at this time, and we think that this actually started when he had the trauma from my near-death experience, we knew that he was on the internet a lot. And there was a time that we thought he was suicidal. So I went rummaging through his desk and I found this journal that he had written where he was going, he was Googling psychology 
and trying to read all about these different mental illnesses and things like that, trying to find out, okay, what what's wrong with me? Why do I feel this way? But it was nothing related to gender. It was just like, okay, I'm going, it was almost like he wanted to pathologize himself or maybe he wanted to understand why he felt the way he felt. Um, so he was looking at, I mean, it was like schizophrenia. And I mean, he was like researching all of these things in psychology. Yeah. And he, he said he, he was obsessed with the brain. Like he was, he's an inventor or he was, but um, he wanted to research things that could measure the brain waves or uh, all right. kinds of things with the brain. He had a brain obsession at that time. Another thing that I want to note is that my husband and I, as responsible parents, we had installed Circle, which, you know, is one of the best um, filtering sub software in, or apps in the market. And we would scan through the things that he was looking at, and it was all innocent. It was school or video games, you know, even innocent video games. I mean, this was a kid who did not even like Total Recall. He didn't like the bloody shoot 'em games. I mean, he just liked Mario, Minecraft, you know, stuff like that. So we couldn't, we never found anything that was concerning at all. We were doing our due diligence. I Going back to where I was, he finished his first year of college and he said he wanted to uh, go to four-year school and transfer. His friends were at this one four-year school and all his friends were in four-year school. So he wanted to go to the university, but he didn't want to live away from home. Didn't want to be in the dorms. He wanted to be in his room in his house. So my husband was very reluctant. He said, I just don't think he's mature enough to go to a four-year school. I don't think he's, you know, going to do well. Yes. I mean, he was Dean's list, you know, excelling academically, but I kind of convinced him. I said, well, how can we stop him though? You know what I mean? He's 18, you know, has an education paid for, you know, let's let him try it. So uh, we let him try it. And within like two months of being in the university, he started talking about these two girls who were in a gender studies class and they were his friends and they were talking to him. And then he started really letting his hair grow, which at first wasn't really a big concern because Four out of five of the youth boys had long hair and they were all boys, you know, so that wasn't like a big deal. But then it, I, there was just something that was not right. There was something that just just didn't seem right. And, uh, you know, I would pray about it and I just just didn't feel settled in me that, that things were okay. Um, so when he started bringing like changing his room. First came the anime stuffed animals. He had never been into anime. That just was never something that he was interested in. Marie, the the anime is that that's the Japanese cartoons yes. or Japanese, the Japanese cartoons. Yeah, you know, they're very sexual. They're very sexualized, and many um, you know experts in this field of gender dysphoria, the ones who are um, you know on the biology is reality side. They have said that anime is very much a gateway to trans world. That you you enter through anime very quickly, you are introduced to um, trans characters or uh, androgynous characters, people who change from one sex to another, and then you're also invited to click on multiple links to other places. So he started showing an interest in Japanese things and Japanese language and Japanese characters and stuffed animals and that I didn't know the connection at that point. Uh, then he started twisting his eyebrows and he just started acting effeminate. And then he started wearing all of these um, larn yards with, you know, the rainbow and, you know, all this. So I asked him and I said, well, I'm going to call him Tom. I said, Tom, are you gay? And he says, no, why would you think that about me? No, I'm not gay. I am asexual. You know, I don't have any interest in men or women. You know, I'm just me. So I said, okay, well, by the end of that first semester of school, he told me one day that he had something to tell me. And he said that he, he had gender dysphoria 
And he said, you probably have noticed that I'm letting my hair grow and that I'm twisting my eyebrows and that I shave. And I was like, oh, no, I hadn't noticed that I shaved. But now that you mention it, yeah. And then I realized what was so weird about it. It was that he was shaving his whole body. But I just had not really picked up on it, even though he was very hairy, very, very hairy. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. That's what's so strange about this. And um, and then he said, um, yeah, I feel like I'm um, a woman trapped in a man's body. And I was like, okay, how do you know that? Like, you know, how do you know that you're a woman? Like, what makes you say that? And he said, oh, because I like soft things and because I'm kind and sensitive. And I said, okay, wait a minute. First of all, You've liked soft things like fussy, you know, kind of velour kind of type of things since you were little because you have sensory processing disorder and you were always a tactile seeker. So he was always touching, touching people, touching everything, touch, touch, touch. And he liked like those, you know, polartic winter pajamas that kids wear. I mean, like he loved those and wanted to be in those all day long. I said, that's a sensory thing. It's not to mean you're a woman if you like, you know, something. And then kind and sensitive. I said, your dad is a very kind and sensitive man. He's more sensitive than I am and kinder than I am. So, and I'm a woman. So that has nothing to do anything else. No, that was it. That was the reasons that he was a woman. So I, you know, I just, I really was, I think I had been, praying so much about what was happening with him. I, at that time when he came, I just really felt a lot of peace about it, that I didn't react, you know, in any kind of crazy way. And I said, so what does this mean? Like, what does this mean? And he said, well, if I could push a button right now to turn into a woman, I would do that. I said, well, there's no such button. So, you know, what are your plans? What are you thinking? And he says, I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. I'm still processing it. It's very, very scary. So that gave me a lot of hope because I thought, oh, great. You know, he's still processing. He's not sold to it. Um, so I said, well, I said, you say that you're a Christian, that you're a believer. So uh, would you see a Christian counselor? And he said, yes. So I talked to, we have in our church, there's the director of one of the Christian counseling centers. They're all professionals. They're all like psychologists and, but, you know, from a Christian perspective. So I talked to him and he interviewed my son and he was given three choices of who to pick. And he picked one person who specializes in this field. And uh, this psychologist, well, I don't know if he's a psychologist, he's a PhD possibly in some area, but he's a mental health professional. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely a licensed counselor. This doctor, um, he kind of gently tried to explain to us, uh, well, both of them did, our friend, the director and him both kind of very gently tried to tell us that this was going to be a marathon and that this was going to be a process and that this was something that could possibly take four or five years. And I don't think I believe them at that point. And what I said to him was, listen, you have to deal with the issues. There's trauma, there's autism, there's sensory processing disorder. There's, you know, there's rejection because, you know, he, he would be rejected by girls. And I said, there's all these things. He's bulimic. He's engaging in eating disorder behaviors. He's all these things. His OCD, maybe not like clinically OCD, but he's obsessive. And so, you know, he said, we can try, but my goal is to keep him safe to keep him away from medicalizing. Hopefully this thing will, you know, run its course before he's a fully mature adult, 25, you know, 26, whatever, a professional with his own insurance and a job. And hopefully he'll be out of this, you know, by the time he, he is able to do these things. So he started seeing the therapist. Uh, we had an early meeting when he was still in that world of, processing all of this and he was honest and he was vulnerable and he talked about how he had felt and he admitted and see this is one of the things that the trans activist on the other side says that we the parents who are not affirming our children are clueless and that our children have felt this way their whole lives they just weren't free to express it but my son like 
Clairson, I think she shared this in the, in the podcast. I mean, he admitted that his struggles and his difficulties were not related to gender when he was growing up, that it was not about gender. That he didn't feel like he was a girl instead of a boy. It was just a discomfort that he could not pinpoint. Like my arms felt uncomfortable with my body. I hated my body. I hated my pudgy stomach. I, um, you know, feels like my head is not connected to my body. All those things are descriptive of the way people with autism feel. You know, they have mm. interoception issues and they were, you know, they have tr trouble connecting their, their emotions to what they're feeling, it, like what their body is doing. And I mean, it's just very complicated to understand and even to explain. And I tried to explain to him that that was what was going on. And then he said, listen, I have tried, I have tried, I have tried. And this is like the saddest thing. He said, I have prayed and prayed and prayed so hard that God would take this away from me. And he has not. And I said to him, listen, God can take this struggle away from you just as he could, you know, heal someone of an illness. I said, but there's two things that are going on. One is you're praying that God will take this away from you at the same time that you are on the internet feeding this trans obsession. So I said, it's not going to work. God is not going to just, you know, wave a wand and make it go away when you are pursuing this. And I said, the other thing is God doesn't always take away the struggle. Sometimes we have to, you know, by faith, just walk through it. And then on the other side of it, you know, you experience, um, you know, victory over the struggle. And Th that's and such a said, good point, because you're also you're also pointing out to him that there is a truth. Uh, so not only to have faith in God and that you that he may not take away that struggle. You, you may mentioned a great point about that. He was seeking it out while praying at the same time. But also as a Christian, you also have to believe God's truth about his creation and who we were created as and in whose image we we're created in. And was, did he ever align and, and use, you know, since he's so, you know, uh, so focused on mechanics, he obviously has a lot of the ability to think logically. Mm -hmm. He's a logical well, thinker. Did he ever think that, that, okay, this is God's truth. And logically my feelings are not aligning with truth. Well, there's, there's like three points right there. Okay. So first of all, that, um, the identity conversation was one we had very, very early on, uh, right? Pretty, maybe not like the moment he told me, because when he told me this, when he came out to me, primarily I just listened and listened and asked questions. I didn't advise. I didn't. He did say when he first came out, um, are you going to, what did he, how did he phrase it? He said, will you still love me? And I said, of course, I'm going to love you. Of course. But I, I will never accept a lie. I can never buy into deception that you are a woman because you are not and you can never be. No matter what you do to yourself, you're never going to be anything but who God created you to be, which is to be a man, you know, a boy and a man. And um, But we did have the identity conversation. And I said to him, I said, you know, Genesis tells us that God created a male and female. And he said, yes, he did, male and female, like meaning both, you know, totally twisting that. And he's like, oh, you have no idea. Yeah, male and female mean you can be both. Or you. And I said, where on earth did you search this? And he said, oh, you would be surprised at the Christian websites that I have gone to that, you know, talk about this. And there are, they are there. So, and I said, you know, he created you and his image created you as, as a man of void. No, God made a mistake. God made a mistake. I was born in the wrong body. Maybe because I was in preterm labor and I had to take medications. Maybe it, those medications changed something in me. And, you know, that's why. And he's like, and I, and I said, well, it's not God's will for you to damage your body, to harm your body this way. You know, and he says, how do you know God's will for my life? And and then he said, I believe because I've prayed so much about it. And 
And he even said, I am more at peace now and I'm closer to God than I ever was before. And I was like, I, I said, I, I said, I don't, I'm not going to invalidate your feelings and how you feel, but I can tell you, God doesn't change, you know, so he can't go against what he has said in his own word in the Bible. So, you know, I mean, your feelings are your feelings, but I I can tell you that it is not God's will that anybody harm their body to try to change the sex with which they were created. It's, 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 in the Bible, which I believe is true, that can't go against, you know, God's design. So he was not. But the other point that you made is the logical point. There's no logic. There's no logic. My counselor says you cannot reason a person out of a position that they didn't reason themselves into. This is a cult. It is like a religion. It is faith based because it takes faith to believe that sex is not binary, that you can change your sex, that you can become a man or a woman. It is a religion. It is it is a religious belief. Um, they've even thrown away the science, you know. I mean, they're not following the science. So if you're not following the science, it, this is a type of religion that ta- and it's a cult. It behaves like a cult. That is such a great point, Marie, that this is a cult a religion. And so when we, as you said that, I just thought about all the times that our legislators in in Texas and throughout this country have been hearing from people who want to rely on the science that we know sex is binary. We have people coming in of Christian faith who are also saying the same thing, but yet our legislators continue to cave to the cult uh, conversations and and points being made from this false religion of the trans identity movement, and they are guilting people into believing that they are wrong and that this cult is right, and it's working. The legislators are caving. Now there are some, and as there, if some are listening, I know some of you are fighting hard and are being ignored. But I confidently can say that the majority of our Democratic, Democrat and even conservative Republican legislators have failed the children of this country by accepting or ignoring this cult movement of trans identity. And it they will have to answer to a higher power for that. Um, and they have an they have an opportunity to change that today, but they have not. Um, you know, I think I've always known that this was a cult movement, uh, but by but the point that you just made, Marie, saying that lo- why does logic not work? Because there is no logic in a cult, and they actually do are they are working by quote unquote a faith, not a Christian faith, but a faith. It is, of course, the religion of secular humanism. So everything is okay as long as you feel it. And unfortunately, when a person says that they have more peace or that they're closer to God because of this, the truth is, is that whatever spirit has come around them, it is not the spirit of God that they are worshiping at that moment, but the spirit of self or another spirit My heart goes out to you because I know um, you and I talked a little bit about this before the interview uh, and you, I I feel like you and I are so much alike (laughs) in our, in just what what you've done, Marie, with your, with your family and how you've taught your son and, and just how you've been able to try to speak truth into his life. So let's move forward with that. So this is a cult that is not going to listen to reason or logic. Where is your son now with all of this? Yes. Well, before I tell you that, let, let me mention, I don't know if you watched that YouTube video called Mass Psychosis. Have you watched that? It's Mass I Psychosis. Haven't. Oh, you need to look it up. It's just 20 minutes, but it's amazing. Is how I think it's how an entire population becomes mentally ill. And basically it goes through how a people in power 
push down these totalitarian views. It really, it, it can be for anybody. It's not left, right, or it, it's just the process by which people are convinced of ideas that make absolutely no sense and they just follow and they fall in line with it. And then at the very end of the video, it has, it talks about parallel structures. And parallel structures are the people, kind of the resistance, who refuse to bow down to the tyranny, basically, and who fight it and who live in reality and who live in truth. And so I preface this because what I'm going to say about where my son is now has been criticized by many people, not directly to me, but in general, people who take these actions are criticized as cruel, as transphobic, as no, we are the parallel structures that are living in truth and reality. And we refuse to be hijacked by the tyranny of thought, the tyranny of controlling speech, the tyranny of uh, telling us how we're supposed to parent our children. So one, one of the things, uh, there were, there were compromises, um, which our son's uh, therapist, um, helped us work through. And some of those compromises were because, you know, they talk about being dead name. And that's what's so sad about this, that when these kids buy into this identity, they're told that they can become a woman. Okay, the old autogonophiles, older man who this used to affect, you know, as a mental illness, as a paraphilia, um, they knew they were never going to be women. Like they knew they were men you know, who did hormones or did whatever because of their fetish. But this young cohort is told you can become a woman. You can become a, a boy, a, a man. So we had told him that if he did hormones, he couldn't live in the house. And the compromises that we had done was because he, he said we were dead naming him and it was made him depressed and, I mean, made him you know, just not want to basically live if we called him his birth name and he, him, you know, whatever. And uh, so we're like, okay, we're not going to call you a female name. And we're not going to refer to you as she, her, because that's not truth. It's a delusion. It's not reality. And just as you, as important as it is for you to hang on to your truth and your reality, we deserve the same. We also deserve to hang on to our truth and to our reality. But we did compromise on his initials, which were the same for the new name he wanted and his first name. Or we just basically didn't call him anything. It was the most awkward thing. Hey, dinner is ready. Knock, knock. Hey, can you take out the trash? He was fine with that as long as we didn't call him his name. Uh, we, we basically lived and accepted uh, the hair, the tweezing, the shaving, the whatever. We just said, when you come out of your room, you come out in gender neutral clothing, um, in which basically was pajamas. Like he went from wearing basketball shorts and t-shirts before this hit to basically being in pajamas all day. But the hormones, that's where we drew the line in the sand. We cannot let you harm your body here in our home. So when he started doing hormones, Basically, he had to leave. He says, of course, to everybody that we kicked him out, but we gave him choices. We're like, listen, we everything else you're doing, it's on you. And we don't like it, but we're not going to say you have to cut your hair. You have to stop tweezing. You have to stop shaving. But you cannot do something so harmful. I said, and we said, it's no different. To me, literally, it's as if you were doing cocaine or heroin or you know, abusing pills. I don't care if a doctor is prescribing it. Um, it's illegal. It's it's drugs that are harmful and that are not FDA approved and that are hurting you. And he said to me, when I said, I said, I want to show you the research, which by the way, I want to send to you. This dad wrote this amazing paper full of research on the harms of hormones for men, boys and men. Um, I said, I want to show you the research of these hormones. And he said to me, just to show you the degree of the faith that it takes to believe these things. He said, 
that research does not apply to me because I'm really a woman. And that research is for people who are not really trans, but I am putting in my body the hormones that is missing. And so it's going to be good for my body. It's going to help my body because I'm putting what it doesn't have. So it's not going to hurt me because that research doesn't apply to me. This is a kid who scored like above the third, like in the 30s range in the ACT for science and who had like a 100% on his science high school exit exam and who won awards for science research. And that's why I can say unequivocally, this is a cult that has hijacked my son. I even wrote a paper about it <laughs> that, that got published in the Pitt Substack, which the parents write, um, that my son has been hijacked. And so logic doesn't work and reason doesn't work. And um, he lives in this delusion. He is living with a family. Um, he is safe, uh, you know, in terms of like, he's not in outward harm's way. The harm that he's in is a harm he is doing to himself. We are not as strange. We are very distant from each other. He doesn't come to see us at all, but we text, sometimes email, communicate. We are paying for his school, and uh, but he, we don't pay for any expenses of his expenses. So he's not really succeeding in life. He went from I mean, he's barely scraping by. He went from being in the dean's list honor student to having to drop out the four-year school and go back to the tech school because he was failing and not doing well. Even in the tech school, it's like 50% pass, 50% fail, mm -hmm. you know, has conflict at work because he expects the world to align with, uh, you know, this new identity and the world doesn't always align with it, you know? One thing that has been extremely disappointed, disappointing, honestly, is uh, how the church um, in many ways and in many places seems to have taken one of two uh, positions. Um, one is the position of bury our heads in the sand. Let's not talk about it. Let's not deal with it or outright prejudice and um, bigotry against, you know, LGBTQ people in general. I would love if we separate the LGB from the T anyway. It's just, it really is two separate things because the LGB don't medicalize and the T is all about medicalizing and erasing your identity. But anyway, so there's that, those churches over on this end. And then the other end of the spectrum is the churches that have totally bought into the ideology and applauded and encouraged it. Uh, literally in our group of parents, there have been parents of Protestant churches, Catholic churches, and Jewish um, synagogues that have brought in this non-binary priests, non-binary uh, rabbis assistants, you know, these youth pastors um, that are pro-LGB and T. And um, so, you know, it's just very, very very confusing, very sad. There's very few churches, and I'm thankful my church is one of those churches that um, stays true to biblical values, but loves very, very well. I mean, our pastor met with my son every single Sunday to study the Bible with him, spend a lot of time with him, but then the pandemic hit and everything kind of shut down. So, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe if the pandemic had not come, he would have had a chance to not go fully down this path. Um, you know, only God knows, but um, I'm very disappointed. My son went to a party that I heard about from one of the people who was at the party. And it was all kids from church and even kids from a Christian university. And he went in a dress and basically had told everybody that, you know, Tom is dead and I'm now this new person and everybody called me by this new name. And all the people, except for one who left very upset, called him by the name and acted like it was the most normal thing. And, you know, it's very, very disappointing how people 
are also, they're also captured for the ideology not aligning with the truth, because you would expect that if there's one group that would align with truth, is people who believe in the truth of the Bible. But right. that's not what's, what's happening. And the other disappointing thing, honestly, is that the entire church as a whole is burying their head in the sand. I mean, they are all about, you know, the pro-life movement, um, but they don't speak out against this. I mean, like, like I mentioned, like in Texas, you know, the governor of Texas, you know, signed that heartbeat bill, but he and the Republicans basically got in the way and blocked anything that would have helped children from being medicalized early. So, I mean, it just, it just makes me so sad and frustrated to just see the hypocrisy, you know, of people who say that they're Christians or who say that they're conservatives or, you know, it's just, yeah. I agree, Marie. Um, You know, what you're saying about the church is so important because we have felt that the church has been burying its head in the sand on a lot of issues and things are just getting worse. So the church hasn't talked about abortion a lot and they still don't. You know, my husband and I talk a lot about the fact that when Abby Johnson's movie Unplanned came out, it was really a movie that allowed not only people in our country, but across the globe, people to have the courage to speak out because now it was out there. It was so boldly out there and it took God using a woman like Abby to be bold enough to continue to share her story until it became a movie, you know, and I believe it gave a lot of people the courage to speak out. But even though people have spoken out or they say that they are pro-life, yet our churches are still very silent about it. They still don't talk about it a whole lot. Uh, And so I know Abby talks about that quite a bit. Now, you know, meaning, you know, what else do we do? How, How do we align ourselves with families? How do we align ourselves with those teens who do have an unplanned pregnancy? How does the church help them? Because it should be the church helping them. It should not be a government program. It should not be someone at the school. It should not be your school counselor. It should be your family and your church family that's helping. Um, That is how it was meant to be. And it's not like that anymore. And now we're facing the LGB. And I like your point about removing the T from it. The LGB movement um, that, that the same thing is that the church isn't boldly speaking on the truth on that. And definitely they don't know what to say about the T part either, the transgender, uh, transgender identity issue. And then sometimes I think, okay, there's a lot of information out there. People are becoming more educated about it to an extent, but yet they're still silent. So I don't know if it's so much about I don't know what to say because, well, just do some research. I mean, I can talk about it. You obviously, Marie, are able to talk about it. You're someone who could, a pastor or a priest could come and talk to about the issues and talk about it. So there's really not an excuse for our leaders in the church to not talk about it and to come up with a plan on how are we going to deal with this within the body of, of, you know, of Christ in our church with our church families who are going through this. Or what do we do if someone comes into our church wanting to be affirmed? It's not that hard. Is it difficult on an emotional level? Is there fear? Yes. But that's why we have the Lord. That's why we go to Christ and we ask him to help us. And that's why we come together as a church family to do that. So the fear, I don't, you know, it's, we got to get over that fear. But from your opinion, Marie, what do you, if you could have an ideal church, you know, on this issue, what would that look like? What would you like to see from a pastor, a priest, or the church leadership and the the entire family of Christ? What would you like to see? Well, there's various things. One is, honestly, it starts in the schools. It starts in the schools. Um, Are I you think- referring to the public, the government run schools? Really, I mean, private or public. I mean, it could even like the. I drew a blank, but your guest who had their daughter in the um, the Catholic school. Catholic school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she said that she, her daughter was being affirmed in a Catholic school. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean, it could be private or public, but parents need to know exactly what is being taught in the schools. 
and uh, particularly parents of faith, you know, I think would want to know, okay, why is my kid being taught at school? Because even as young as like four years old, you know, if you have an activist teacher, that teacher could be telling kids that you can choose what you want to be. So parents need to be super involved in their schools and find out what it is that that people are, I mean, the, the teachers or the the board or, you know, what are they teaching? Even in Virginia, as you know, two teachers, Tanner Cross was fired. And then this other teacher, I can't remember her name, resigned over the pressure that they were feeling from the board, from the administration. So obviously these things are happening. And I would think that parents, Christian parents and, and you know, parents of faith in general, um, who want to have this biology reality perspective for their children that you are a boy or you're a girl and you can't change that, need to start instilling those values in the kids and say, if a teacher tells you any different or a friend, it's not true. I mean, I can't imagine that I would have had to have those conversations with my children when they were little, but parents have to have them now to to say to them, you know, God created you to be a boy or a girl, and that is immutable. Well, you wouldn't say those words to a child, but that can't change ever. Mm-hmm. Don't let anyone tell you any different. And also for the children to talk to the parents, you know, about if the teachers, you know, what are the teachers saying? And if they come home at the first th- time that they say, well, the teacher said, uh, you know, what are my pronouns or, you know, things like that. Parents need to jump on that and not be afraid. So I think if we could get into education and um, there are some states, very few, and I don't know if they've made any progress, but that are trying to pass some bills that say that you cannot, you know, teach children, you know, queer theory or. So that's your number one is addressing the schools. Yes. Addressing the schools. And, uh, you know, I would like to see the church very involved in definitely praying. Prayer is uh, just the base for everything. So uh, I would like them to pray and I would like them to get involved, you know, when these bills um, come up uh, to protect children from medicalization, you know, then write to your legislators, call them support or oppose if it needs to be opposed. There, there's been conversion therapy bans in multiple cities and they pass almost completely unopposed. So it's like you have to be aware and attuned. I was not a political person before this at all, at all. I was a moderate, you know, and I did not like extremes on either end, but you know, it's in, in being in being uninvolved that all these things have now just been piled on on us and are passing and are happening. So I would say those things. And then the other thing too is parents need to be super aware of what their kids are doing. I believe Claire maybe mentioned it, but it's worth mentioning again. My, son, I told you we had the circle. My son had created a separate account using a virtual private network that we had no idea he was in a separate account. I mean, these kids are super savvy. They're super, super smart. And so he was in a dark, horrible, awful world that we had no idea right in our home under our noses, even though we thought we were doing all the right things by having a filter, looking at, at, at logs. He had a whole other network, a whole other internet access. He had a so secret, be, a secret yeah. life. Yeah. 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 So be aware of what your kids are doing. Like you have to be smarter than them technology wise. And if you're not get someone who is, and you know, don't, don't let young kids have unfettered access to the internet. Some of these kids are Googling it. I mean, literally if you Google, I don't know if you've ever tried it, but if you Google, why do I feel uncomfortable in my body or, you know, why why do I feel more comfortable with girls or with boys? Whatever. Any one of those questions are going to give you a hit for trends. And uh, so parents just need to be really aware of that. And if I had to do it over, I don't know how we would have managed it, but um, I would have pushed our son a whole lot more to be out of his room when they're in the room, shut down, isolated. I mean... 
they're not they're up to no good they're, there's nothing good that is going on when they're doing that in room so i think parents need to be super aware and take the reins back don't let the kids dictate you know uh, what's appropriate for them to have as far as social media or you know internet access i mean just be on top of it um there's parents in our groups that have younger kids between possibly i don't know 14 through 16 maybe even 17 they came down hard and they blocked all the internet access and they made the kids be outside be outdoors doing hard work and those kids have desisted i mean they're not in this world anymore they've desisted so those things that the internet feeds it the schools the peers feeds it and the internet feeds it and homeschoolers are not protected. Good... Homeschoolers are not protected. If they're on the internet, they are as vulnerable as kids who are in public school. You you bring up a great point. Um, you know, and I, and I have said this quite a bit: is the internet and video games and technology, um, but especially internet, internet, social media, video games. They're not essential. Now, I, I think John, in our in our interview, brought up a really good point. Um, he mentioned, you know, that he's Gen X, I'm Gen X, uh, you know, meaning we're, we're older. We, we lived in a time when we didn't have internet. So for us, it's very easy to say, yeah, you can live and be entertained and have a very easy, right. great life without the internet. That's not a problem. It's harder for some of the younger generation to believe that, but it is not essential. Um, if you were to look up what, you know, even when... Uh, just just our, our our needs if 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 you want to rely on psychology even you know our, our needs are that we you know we need our parent we need our parents to provide us with food and shelter the things that we need to be safe um, that we care for them that we're listened to you know that we're loved it's internet is not essential neither is mm-hmm. social media neither is a Bye. phone those things are not essential and I love that you said that I love that you said that of because of, you're part of a large group of parents who are meeting with these same issues that they're your child that you have one or more children who are identifying with the trans identity and to hear parents I hope you're listening to this the children who have desisted the children who are no longer identifying as the opposite gender what helped them was to be removed from the school to be removed from peers who are encouraging this and to be removed from the internet a hundred percent because all of that is feeding those lies into your child's mind and heart. It is, you know, and this is where I go back to Deuteronomy again, where God tells us that we are to, to fill our children's minds with his teachings. As we wake up, as we walk by the ways we sit down and as we lie down, that is God saying, you need to be consistent in giving your children truth, the truth of God all day long and into the night. But we've replaced that with public schools, the internet and peers. And so here's the answer. Remove those things, remove them to save your child's heart and mind. Will they learn how to use a computer under your supervision? And here's the other thing, parents, is that when you remove this from a child's life and you assist them in learning technology safely, it's imperative to do that in their young years when their mind is still forming. Okay, so we, if you can do that while they're young, you are saving them in so many more ways than you could have ever imagined. So if you expose a young child to inappropriate material, pornography, the the transgender cult, the LGB cult, all of that, it is then being planted into their developing mind. You remove it from them and talk to them about truth. It doesn't mean like Murray, you mentioned earlier, yes, we now have to talk to our children about these issues because they're in the world. So this isn't about isolating our children, but we will prepare them. But what the point is, is that when we introduce the subject, it is under our terms and with our truth and our beliefs and our value. And that is what our children are needing is leadership from their parents. Parents, you must remember that the first governmental institution ever created on this earth was the family. And mom and dad, 
dad and mom are the president and the vice president. Do you understand that? That is the first government institution created by God on this earth. President and vice president over the children, husband and wife, father and mother. So it is it is totally our responsibility to be doing that. We cannot give our responsibility to someone else. Marie, you mentioned one more thing that I thought was interesting is that we, as whether the children or adults are Googling, I don't feel good or I don't feel comfortable in my body or we're literally asking Google questions that we should be taking to our family and that we should be taking to God. And that is so important. And guys, if you hear a beautiful, cute little voice in the background, that's just Marie taking care of her family, uh, which we love. So don't worry about that, Marie. Uh, but but this is what's important is that we can't be relying on Google to answer these deep <laughs> So, you know, deep questions, philosophical questions that we have about ourselves. If you find yourself doing that, even as an adult, know that you somehow have isolated yourself because you are not now talking to trusted friends or family members about some of the more deep questions that you have. And that is an indication that you need to turn off that computer and start relating mm -hmm. to people physically, like meaning not physically, but meaning you need to get face to face with people. Right. Call your pastor, call a good friend. Um, but Google is not your friend. It is a device. It is a program. It is never meant to fulfill you in any way. Uh, saying that everyone's like, duh, but you know what? People are relying on that. And this is why so many children are losing their way because they're on that device and in Google night and day. And in the, the answer is simple. Turn it off. Remove it. I know parents, just like Marie, that you mentioned, who have removed television and internet from their home, and their children are very well adjusted. They are socializing very well, and they're incredibly intelligent. We do not need it. Uh, it it means that here's the cost: our children's lives, our children's lives. Marie, you you know, I I I want this to be led by you, to quite honestly. Uh, and I don't want to give you a time limit, although I know you have your family there with you. Is there anything else that you and know that you can always come back, come back onto right. the podcast because you're right. full of wisdom and we want to hear more from you. But is there anything else that you'd like to share about what you know that you think would be helpful to us? Um, I should have mentioned this earlier, but uh, one of the things that, um, you know, people on the activism side of this say is that it is not true that people can just walk into a place and get the medication, get the hormones, get the drugs. And that is absolutely not true. My son walked into an OBGYN's office and on as a as a 20 year old autistic uh, young man and got the drugs on his very first visit. Even before the blood work was back, he had the prescription for the drugs. And we know that there's several parents whose 18 year old has gone to Planned Parenthood and gotten a uh, prescription uh, for hormones. So it is happening and it's happening everywhere. And there are states where they can get them before they're 18 they can make those medical decisions for themselves. And there are other, we know of other cases where children are being removed from the parents' home and not just like the cases where what, uh, the father is or the mother is non-affirming and the other parent is affirming, but uh, there are cases where uh, teenagers have been removed from the home because they went to the school and they said, I don't feel safe. Um, and if parents don't affirm, they're considered to be in, it's called, I think it's called emotional violence or something like that. And then social services has come and removed the kids from the home. Be very aware if your child is in school, um, of what he or she is telling a guidance counselor or an administrator, um, because they are, these children are coached on the internet what to say, what the trigger words are um, to get themselves, either get the parents, force the parents to affirm them and let them go down this path of transition or um, some want to leave home. And there's a lot of predators. There's a lot of pedophiles behind this movement. And I'm not saying that every 
trans person is, um, you know, a predator at all because there are um, trans people even in our own movements and groups that are, you know, very um, adamantly opposed to medicalizing children and vulnerable young adults and who tell you a very clear picture of the struggles that they've had, the side effects and how their bodies have been damaged. So, um, you know, I just want to be very clear that that's not the case. But there are a lot of people who are, are taking advantage of this and who are predatorial um, and who are going after children. Um, so it's very, very dangerous. So just educate yourself, be very aware, um, you know, of what's going on to protect your children. Marie, that's a really great point. And there are, yeah, um, there are, w- parents need to know the dangers of, it's not, it is obviously the danger of a child medic- being medicalized, the danger of them being completely brainwashed into this cult, all of that, but also that there is a huge um, you know, predatory movement behind all of this as well. And we can't close our eyes to that, you know, mm-hmm. and we can't soft pedal just because not all of them are predators. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to really be active in protecting our children. And I'm yes. glad you mentioned about the coaching uh, of the children and even of adults. They're being coached what to ask. Um, they're, they're being, uh, or what to say, what to ask for and how to ask for it. You know, many years ago when I used to be a comprehensive sex educator, uh, this was in the 90s, I actually had a transgender support group of people and they were very specific that they didn't want drag queens. They just, they were, these were people who believed they were the opposite gender and they only wanted to meet with other people like that. So I did that for a year. And they also coached each other and said, okay, this is when you go to get your mastectomy, this is what you say. You let them know that they're so heavy. It makes your your back hurt. You're having all these other issues. Uh, And sure enough, one of the women went into a doctor's office, a plastic surgeon, and said exactly what they were told to say. That surgeon knew exactly what that person meant uh, and immediately was scheduled for a mastectomy. Uh, now, this was an adult, you know, she she mm-hmm. could make that choice for herself, but there was no questions asked because this was a friendly mm-hmm. doctor. And that's another thing is that this wow. cult is not only coaching our children on what to say, but they're probably also providing them with doctors who would be, quote unquote, friendly to them to yes. get hormones and do the things that they're wanting. So I'm wondering if your son you know, oh, went to an absolutely. OBGYN, oh, yes. right, that yeah. he probably already knew would affirm he him. He got from the internet. He got this name from the internet and went yeah. there and knew exactly what to say to walk out of there with those hormones. And, um, you know, he's still on them. He's been on them like eight or nine months. You know, all we can do is, I mean, we love him. Uh, we still connect with him, but we pray that, you know, when he comes out of this and we have no doubt that he will, because we know the way he is and we know who he is and the reasons he's doing this, he's comes out with some damage, but not permanent life altering forever damage. You know, I mean, we pray that, you know, he will come to his senses. That's the way the best way to describe it is come to his senses and recognize that what he's doing is just so wrong and your son will specifically be in my prayers as well because i'm in agreement with you for that uh and i I pray for all of our children daily but i'll i will have him in my in my personal list as well um and guys that's what we need to be doing is number one we do need to be praying Uh, We need to pray that God gives us eyes to see, that we receive his wisdom, and that when we are attacked with um, the cult language that makes you react in in the sense that they try to make you feel guilty, or they try to tell you that you're a bigot, or they try to tell you, I, I pray that God will give us, through the Holy Spirit, the words to speak in that moment. And in the word of God, he tells us that he will do that. He tells us in Isaiah 54 that we will refute every tongue that accuses us. He lets us know, you know, back in the Old Testament, even that we do not have to be afraid about what we what we will say, but that he will give us the words to speak. So in every situation, he will do that. And he tells us, do not be afraid, but have courage. 
He even says, do not be dismayed by their faces. He says that because he knows that the people that we are speaking to are going to look at us with anger. Mm-hmm. And he's telling us, don't be dismayed by their faces, those angry faces, but instead to have courage, knowing that God is leading you and that God is giving you the words. And this is why it's important, because when we do that, we have an opportunity to align with God in helping someone not go down a path that will harm them further. This yes. is why, and this is why this is important to me, is that I worked for an industry that for over 10 years, I met people where they were at in their pain. And I left them there with this false belief that risk reduction was going to help them, but no more through Christ. God tells us, no, I'm going to meet you right where you're at in your mess, which is where God met me and where he's going to meet Marie's son and all of the children and adults who have fallen under this cult ideology. He's going to meet them right there, right where they're at. And then he's going to lead them into an abundant life. He's going to offer it to them. Now, God is a gentle God. He's a mighty and powerful God, but he chooses to be gentle with us. And he gives us that choice. Let us be praying that these people and Marie's son will choose to go and follow Christ. Um, And that give us again, the courage and that let's pray for our church leaders and our pastors and our priests and our bishops and that they will begin to feel the Holy Spirit encouraging them, giving them what they need, that even in the midst of fear, that they will still speak what needs to be spoken. Because we, as a body of Christ, need that from one another, and especially from our leaders. Marie, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your life. And, And again, my, I, I just an open invitation to come onto the show Thank anytime. You. I know that our listeners would love to hear from you again. You're so precious. Thank you, Monica. And Thank I you, feel Monica. so encouraged by your words. Um, it just really just breathed just fresh air of hope uh, in into my life. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. That is, I feel the same thing because there were not even my words. Those are God's words, right? So that's why we worship the mighty God that we do because he comes to refresh us all. Thank you, Marie. And until next time, have have a blessed day. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Monica Klein Show. If you are a company or small business who would like to advertise on the podcast, please contact me at hello at monicaklein.com. And to learn more about my nonprofit, please visit us at ittakesafamily.org. For more great podcasts that will build your faith and inspire you, head over to edify.app and search for the Edify app in the Apple and Google Play stores. Mm -hmm.